If you've made it this far, you're in the background of the iFont 2016 conference website. Thank you for registering your interest in what promises to be a brilliant conference in which we hope to gather thousands of the best clinical minds from across the globe. Here's the rest of my interview with Dr. Anina Schmidt, in which we discuss in more depth entrapment neuropathy, neuropathic pain, and importantly, how we go about treating and naming it in practice. If you've come to this clip off the back of a YouTube soundbite, then please fast forward five minutes to the rest of the interview that you won't have heard. Hi, Dr. Schmidt. Would you like to introduce yourself for the listeners? My name is Anina Schmidt. Um, I guess many people also know me as Nina, and I'm a research fellow currently at Oxford University at the Nuffield Department of Clinical Neurosciences. Um, my main research focuses on the pathophysiology of neuropathic pain and entrapment neuropathies in particular. But although I'm I'm kind of doing full-time research at the moment. I would say I'm a musculoskeletal physiotherapist at heart, uh, and I'm still practicing half a day per week to keep that going. I see. And, and, and uh, tell me a little bit about your, your CV historically then. Where, where have you come from? Yeah. Um, well, my journey is probably a bit unusual and sometimes probably a bit surprised myself uh, where it's taking me. Um, I graduated as a physiotherapist in Switzerland. That was in 2001. Um, and I then started work as a musculoskeletal therapist at the local university hospital in Zurich. And I decided very early on that I really wanted to become specialized in musculoskeletal therapy. And in 2005, um, I would say I not only saved enough money, but I was also lucky to be admitted at Curtin University in Perth at the local musculoskeletal master's program there. And I spent an incredible year there in Perth, obviously surrounded by an amazing international bunch of motivated physiotherapists. Um, I guess there were many up and downs there during the course, but the Australian way of life and occasional barbecue kept us going. Of course. <laughs> um, after that year uh, in Australia, I returned to Switzerland and went back to work at the university hospital again in Zurich. And I was very lucky to have been offered a position as a clinical specialist, but with a 40% research component on top of it. And it was during that time that I started my research into neurodynamics and the mechanisms of manual therapy-induced analgesia. But very soon I kind of noticed that I would like to concentrate a bit more on research um, but doing a PhD in Switzerland was difficult. Actually, at the time, it was impossible as a physiotherapist because I graduated with a diploma and I didn't have an actual undergrad uh, university degree. I see. Uh, so I decided to return back to Australia. And I was lucky enough, I would say, to, to, to get some fellowships, which allowed me to start my PhD. That was that time under the supervision of Michelle Kopitis, um, Elspeth McLaughlin, Paul Hodges, and Mark Rautenberg at the University of Queensland in Brisbane. And I did my PhD in, with a project that was entitled Implications of Mild Peripheral Nerve Compressions Beyond the Lesion Site Mechanisms and Interventions. That then is, is probably your maybe best known work if, in terms of that area. Your journey as a researcher has been linked to and seemingly inspired by your journey as a clinician. Um, but what would you say has led to the, the special interest in neuropathic pain and being known for that? Yeah, there are probably several different reasons um, why I'm doing my research specifically in neuropathic pain and entrapment neuropathies. Now, as I mentioned, I was working as a clinician at the local university hospital in Zurich. And as part of this job, I was seeing many patients with neural involvement and neuropathic pain, including, of course, a lot of patients with radiculopathies or peripheral entrapment neuropathies. 
what I found very confusing when seeing these patients, especially when I was a new graduate, was that very often they reported symptoms in locations that did anatomically at least not make sense to me. You know how you know we learn in textbooks that quite often radiculopathies should actually present with a dermatomal pattern of and course, a peripheral yeah. nerve uh, injury should lead to symptoms in the peripheral innovation territory. Wishful thinking, I suppose. Exactly. <laughs> so what, what, I, uh, what I realized is that when I completed a body chart with these patients is that almost never I found a nice dermatomal or a peripheral nerve innovation zone. And um, patients actually had pain in completely anatomically unrelated areas. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I thought either these patients do not have a radiculopathy or an entrapment neuropathy after all, or the textbooks might actually not be right. Um, Mm -hmm. And that is one one reason that got me into into research uh, on this condition. Okay, so it was a a clinical uh, head-scratcher that then made you delve into things in in an academic sense. Very very interesting. And and your presence as a keynote speaker at IFOMP 2016 will no doubt interest potential delegates that we're trying to inspire. Was your invitation an easy one to accept? And, And why would you say that conferences such as this are important? Yeah, I mean, that, that is not difficult to answer. I guess it was obviously an honor when I received that email. And I, I, I can remember I actually had to read through twice to actually believe that I was invited. I mean, IFOMT is, is a very important association that brings together specialist musculoskeletal therapists from all over the world. I personally believe these conferences are very, very important for several reasons. Um, I believe they raise public awareness for our profession, um, but they are also a perfect platform for me as a researcher um, to share my work with educators and clinicians and to network, establish collaborations and, and exchange my ideas um, with people. Fantastic. And, and so uh, you've got a, a history, therefore, with IFOMT and, and long may it continue, would we say? I hope so. <laughs> Fantastic. I definitely hope so. Um, lovely. I mean, I would, as a physiotherapist myself, I would have had to have my head under a rock to have not known of your work in, in, in particularly in entrapment neuropathy and neuropathic pain. And in a lot of your recent work, you have mentioned paradigm shifts and alterations in prior thinking. And the slogan that's being used, interestingly, by IFOMP 2016 is expanding horizons. Would it be fair for me to say that this suits your research findings, particularly particularly in that area of entrapment neuropathy? Mm. I, I definitely hope that my research will contribute to us expanding horizons. I mean, as a researcher, we are, of course, always striving to find questions and gaps or, or even inconsistencies in the literature and answer them. Mm-hmm. And, and I would believe that my research in entrapment neuropathy does contribute to a deeper understanding of, of these conditions. And maybe it also deconstructs a few beliefs that we had for many, many decades. And I'm very aware that this can sometimes be a bit difficult and a bit painful for us physiotherapists. But I also believe that this is very, very important for us to move forward. Mm -hmm. And and what do you feel has been, shall we say, shall we delve into the potential misconceptions then or or the prior thinking that, that is on the change? Yeah, I can probably give you two examples. So one example is that our research um, on entrapment neuropathies, um, uh, both in the animal model as well as in patients, suggests that symptoms may after all not be purely due to a local phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Now, so far, it has always been believed that entrapment neuropathies purely affect the nerve locally as it is compressed. 
But what we found in the animal model is that the immune system actually get act gets activated at very remote sites, such as, for example, in the dorsal ganglia, which indeed are very far away from where, where the actual compression site is. Now, this activation of immune cells at such remote size, sites might be the perfect explanation why we often observe spread of symptoms outside these dermatomal territories or, or peripheral neural territories. So maybe after all, the textbooks might be wrong saying that we should observe these um, symptoms in such restricted areas. I believe I, I can contribute with my research along those lines. And another example is probably as well our recent research, which I find very exciting, which I believe pushes some boundaries in regards to the pathophysiology of entrapment neuropathies. Now, so far, it is commonly accepted that entrapment neuropathies mainly affect the large fibers. We currently diagnose these patients with electrodiagnostic testing. And I also remember when we were taught that uh, in school, um, they said to us that a reduction in vibration sense mediated by the large fibers, usually the one, one of the earliest signs that we would find. But now really, our recent findings suggest that the small axons, which have really been quite neglected in entrapment neuropathies, seem to be predominantly affected in this condition. In fact, we have not only shown that in our animal model, but we have now just completed a study uh, in patients with carpal tunnel syndrome where we have taken skin biopsies. And to our surprise, we have identified an actual small axon death in these patients. And that seems to happen very early on, um, even when electrodiagnostic findings sometimes still doesn't show any changes. So if that holds true, and of course, I mean, we have to look further into that, I believe that could be definitely expanding our horizons um, on what we think. Yeah, I mean, that, 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 that is, as you say, a potential game changer. I, I think that historically we, we find diagnostics more reassuring when there is a, a gold standard test and that the large fibres being able to be tested through the um, electrodiagnostic testing um, is reassuring in some, in some ways. So do you feel that there is potential for future uh, diagnostic testing to come from this, this small fibre change that you're detecting? Yeah, exactly. So we have just collected one cohort of patients, but are currently repeating um, in another cohort of patients. And we do believe that it might well be that in some patients, we could use other diagnostic tests, uh, especially in the ones where um, they have clear symptoms of carpal tunnel syndrome, for example, but electrodiagnostic tests are completely normal. And in the literature, there are different reports ranging from around 5 to 25% of patients where we find this problem. And then obviously, uh, at the moment, we say, well, they don't have a carpal tunnel syndrome. But in fact, we have also looked in this population, and the very preliminary results seem to suggest that these patients seem to have a predominant affection of the small fibers. So potentially, tests to diagnose the small fibers may complement our current diagnostic tests that we have for entrapment neuropathies. But there's still a, a long way to go as well along those lines. Of course, uh, yeah, early, early days. And just to go back a little on, on in terms of your, your detection of uh, immune responses, the, the, the nervous system is, is being um, investigated quite rightly and it, the, immune, the immune system cannot be separated from that in any sense and sometimes does get neglected somewhat. I, I absolutely believe so. I mean, in fact, carpal tunnel syndrome is probably the best example for that. I mean, patient, uh, people always say that 
that is completely non-inflammatory disease. But what they mean with that is that when they look at tendons, they can't seem to be find an inflammatory infiltrate. Or when they look in the blood systemically in those patients, they can't find activated immune cells. But that might not actually be surprising because, in fact, the nervous system has its own immune system. And we have immune cells that always um, serve, basically serve um, do a surveillance task in our nervous system. And we do know if there is a very mild compression um, that this immune system inside the nervous system very specifically gets activated, whereas the, the whole immune system of the whole body actually doesn't mind too much. So it's probably not surprising that in, a, in those patients we don't find systemic immune responses, but we might well have a very localized immune system response inside the nervous system itself. How interesting, because the clinical implications of that are, are vast in terms of how they would then be treated, but, well, both assessed and treated. Um, and Because uh, conditions such as entrapment neuropathy, sciatic pain, cervical radiculopathy, as examples you've mentioned as well, carpal tunnel, they're often considered some of the most challenging to treat. But what factors do you feel contribute to that challenge? Yeah, I mean, these conditions really all fall under a big umbrella of neuropathic pain, which, which is definitely one of the big challenges of this century, I believe. And probably there's several reasons why it is so much more difficult to treat than, for example, nociceptive pain. Now, firstly, I think this is a purely anatomical um, question. Nerve cells are, of course, much, much larger than any other cell. I mean, the first order neuron in the static nerve, for example, is just over a meter long. I mean, Probably in Naomi Campbell, it might even be longer, longer than that. Wow. And if you compare that to a normal muscle cell, which is only a few micrometers in length, that is a huge difference. And so as such, local injury to this cell will most certainly have consequences that are not just locally, but are well, like will extend well beyond the lesion site. And then we also know that um, the physiological network of neurons is very, very intricate, and we still do not fully understand the anatomy and definitely not the physiology as well of, of these networks in detail. And I'm sure you have heard, like, there are a lot of new discoveries almost every month in regards to new connections of neurons in the brain or, like, newly identified ion channels or signaling pathways. And we're definitely still limping behind in our understanding of the normal physiology of the nervous system, much more so than, I would say, than the muscle or the ligamentous system. And it is probably, therefore, not surprising that we are still struggling to understand its disease state as well. Of course, but uh, the fact that it's being so readily investigated is on, only a positive thing. That is exactly right. That is exactly oh. right. And just to talk a little, um, I mean, uh, I'll be honest, I admit that I have a bit of an obsession with semantics personally, but I was just wondering what, what your thoughts are on, could the term entrapment neuropathy and, and other terms that branch from it, such as trap nerve, do you think they could potentially be unhelpful to patients, suggesting a mechanical untrapping would be necessary or essential to recovery? Mm. Yeah, that is a really good question. And I'm a, I'm a strong believer that wording and patient education is an essential component in our management of patients. I'm sure they will be better expert than me, I guess, at, at the Glasgow Hyphon conference to talk about patient education. But you're right, the word entrapment definitely suggests a physically trapped nerve. Mm-hmm. And from ultrasound imaging, we know that some patients with, for instance, for instance carpal tunnel syndrome have indeed less nerve excursion inside the carpal tunnel. 
um, which might suggest a trapping of the nerve. I'm, however, completely unaware of studies showing that um, biomechanical trapping is complete and the nerve doesn't move at all. Mm-hmm. And personally, I also believe that the symptoms in patients with entrapping neuropathies are only to a very small part due to actual biomechanical entrapment, but they are mainly caused by neurophysiological changes. And these can occur at very low levels of compression when, when there might not even be a trapping of a nerve. And therefore, I believe nerve entrapment is probably an exaggerated term. But after all, um, probably we have to remember that these conditions do arise because of increased pressure as a cause. Mm-hmm. And as such, the release of this pressure um, will most likely lead to an improvement in neurophysiological function of the nerve. And even um, as a physiotherapist, and the same, I guess, as a surgeon as well, is probably the first and logical target in our intervention to try and improve the surrounding of that nerve to kind of restore normal neurophysiology again. Yeah, and and I, of course we don't. I'm very conscious that we take our words too far away from reality, and we don't want to be too vague. Um, and I, I certainly don't have a better option available at the tip of my tongue. But I just it's very interesting that these conversations are being had where where the neurophysiological and biomechanical science meets um, the wording that we use. So no, th- thanks for that. And. What would a, a final question would be? What have the delegates at IFOMT two two thousand and sixteen got to look forward to, both from you and from the event? Would you say? Oh well, uh, the event is of course going to be very very exciting. I mean, Glasgow. I've, I've never been to Glasgow, but I have been told that it's a unique place with lots to discover. And apart from being a great travel destination, I'm sure that the conference itself will be fascinating. Um, I mean, musculoskeletal physiotherapy research is very fast advanced, and there are so many different research groups working around the globe, probably as many as never before. I think um, that this push in research will change our profession substantially, and we will definitely hear a lot of that um, at the conference day. Now, personally, my my talk, what I hope to contribute with my lecture um, is also to the disadvancement of musculoskeletal practice and entrapment neuropathies in particular. Um, I mean, there are still two years to the conference, and I can promise you that we are currently on, working on very, very exciting findings here that I hope to present in Glasgow. Um, I do hope that my lecture will not only challenge several current beliefs that are associated with neuropathic pain and entrapment neuropathies, but that they will also motivate um, the attendees to think a bit outside the box and expand the skill set and management strategies for their patients. Um, And for all these reasons, obviously, I'm very, very much looking forward to being part um, in in, in this great conference and hopefully to expand the horizons of our profession. Fantastic. And I look forward to, I look forward to both meeting you and listening to things at the iPhone 2016. And also I'm, I'm, I just thought I'd let you know, we will be directing our listeners and I've obviously directed plenty of students and colleagues to uh, several of your pieces of work, especially your more, your very recent masterclass article in which I can't believe how well it was summarized such a complex topic. Thank you so much. And thanks um, yeah, for letting me talk to you today. 
Huge thanks to Dr. Anina Schmid for the interview and also to the IFOMP committee for making these things happen. I hope you get a chance to listen to the other six of these promotional interviews on the back of this website and we look forward to seeing you at IFOMP 2016. As you can see, well, the cogs are already turning and we have a lot of exciting stuff to get to you even before the conference begins. You've been listening to the Physio Matters podcast in association with IFOMP 2016. Me and Dr. Anina Schmid have been discussing Physio Matters because Physio matters. Bye for now.